Today's podcast is being presented by Podgo. You know, I have a lot of podcasters that appear on this show because they want to promote their show. I know lots of them want to monetize their show as well. Well, Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast if you've got one. And providing podcasts with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And don't forget to mention, how did you hear about Podgo? Just say, too many podcasts. Thanks. What are you watching? It's a horror movie called Remy's Demons. It was directed by today's guest, Colin Bressler. I didn't know you were a horror fan. If you want to see something really scary... I can show you the Sherpa's prom pictures. No thanks. I'll just stick with decapitations and devils. Plus, I just had lunch. Attention Rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, the restrooms are located near the yellow snow. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa screening room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Thank you very much, Mr. Bruce. Hey there, Rebels of the Sherpolution, and welcome back. It's another day of the Sherpa Screening Room. It's me, Jim the Podcast Sherpa, just, you know, showing you how little talent I have while I do these podcasts. <laughs> I got a really interesting guest today. His name is Colin Bressler, and Colin is the director of a couple of independent horror movies, and I think you're really going to like what he has to say. I particularly like this story about how we got into horror movies, which I think you're really going to get a kick out of. And he talks about the elements of filmmaking and a lot of other stuff, too. Really enjoyable conversation. So glad that he was able to come into the spooky room at the Sherpa Chalet. So without any further ado, let's take a listen to my conversation with Colin. Hey, the Rebels. You know, because I do a lot of these interviews with people in the entertainment industry and people who do movies and TV shows, I'm often asked, what's the next scary thing? So usually what I will do is I will show them a copy of my cable bill. But I got a better idea this week. I am talking to a man who is new to horror movies. His name is Colin Bressler. He's been working in Hollywood for a bit and in the movie industry. So uh, let's say hello to Mr. Colin Bressler. How are you doing, Colin? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Why don't we get to know you a little bit? Now, you originally started working behind the scenes, right? Yeah. 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 So I I went to film school back in the mid-90s. 
got out of film school, fell in love with camera work. And I kind of, you know, I became a cinematographer doing, you know, independent films around. I, I lived in New York City uh, for over 20 years, around 20 years. And uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, I studied camera work. I fell in love with the camera and everything. Went to film school like everyone else wanted to be a director, but I kind of fell in love with cinematography. Did that, still doing that to this day. That's basically, you know, how I make money. Uh, that's my job. And then about, I don't know, uh, probably about around 2013-ish, uh, sort of my wife and I were in, and her mother were bandying about stories, creepy stories. And I said, that'd be an awesome movie. You know, they were telling me different creepy folklores. And I was like, you know what? And, and I had always wanted to make movies. I had written scripts when I was growing up. So like I, I just kind of realized, I was like, you know what? It's time for me to get off the sidelines and, and make my own movie. You know, and and uh, and I jumped right in and made my own f- movie back in, uh, like I said, two thousand. It was around two thousand fifteen, called Sleepover, which is uh, still available on Amazon Prime, and uh, that was like a sort of Blair Witchian point of view kind of style movie. And uh, but yeah, I did that for a while, and and you know, I did that movie, and honestly, I got the bug, and I I just I don't see myself ever stop making movies. I love it so much. Interestingly enough, you, you've never had the urge to act in one of them, just, just to create? In film school, they, we, they had acting classes and I had to take them and I hated every second of it. <laughs> I lo- I, I, and that's not like a, an attack on acting. I mean, it's an incredible craft and I respect it. I just don't like looking at myself. I don't like hearing myself. I don't, you know, like, and so like I, uh, I would, I don't, I was in my, my first short film, Miguel and Hell Jesus, was a short film I made years ago in Brooklyn. And I was in that. I got shot uh, from a rooftop. The guy was like an assassin and I got shot. And that was it. After that, I was like, I'm good. I don't need to be in any of these movies ever. I'm not Hitchcock or anything like that or M. Night Shyamalan. I'm, I'm good. I don't want to be in front of the camera pretty much. <laughs> That's funny because I do talk to some actors and I've, I've asked them, are you comfortable watching yourself on film? And a lot of them say, no, I'm too critical. I don't like you know, I would rather just kind of deal with like, well, it's a job that I did and I don't have to look back and, you know, and oh, not absolutely. have to see themselves, you know? So well, I, guess enough, I, I see where you're coming from. And you know, it's interesting from a director's standpoint, and I, I, I don't know what other directors feel on this, but I always, um, I always get a little bummed out because most of the actors I work with are very critical of themselves. And I'll walk away and I'll be like, man, I mean, you know, full disclosure, my movies I make are... are what are considered no budget movies. We we're working with budgets under about $2,000. So when I'm always, I always tell them like, man, you don't understand like, or they do, but I'm like to, for you to pull off a performance like that on $2,000 with not a lot of prep time and everything, you should be so proud, but you know, they're critical and it's part of what you said. You know, I think it's, they see themselves on camera and they, it's probably really hard to see past the faults of the performance that they see. Whereas you and I, might watch and be like, oh man, I, that guy's awesome. I totally buy that character or whatever. Yeah, and I always feel for him. I'm like, and so this movie, I've been trying to get tell the actors and I'm like, I'm like, guys, you're awesome. You did great. You know, like I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy this experience, you know. But everybody's different, you know. Everybody, everybody can be ultra critical or less critical, you know, it depends. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you're telling an actor to kind of get into a character's head. And then maybe when they see it on film, they were like, well, that wasn't what I intended to do. I meant to look this way. I meant to say that, you know, in another way, like that, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. 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 And it's also, it's like, well, obviously I'm sure that when, you know, there, there's podcasts you've done where you've been like, Oh, I wish I, I asked this question or I wish I, you know what I mean? Like anyone who creates stuff is probably, we're all like, like critical of what we do. So I struggle because after a while, it's hard for me to watch these movies that I make after, you know, cause I've edited them. I've been around them forever. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that like, you know, they crafted a character and then keep in mind, they don't even know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a camera running around them and shooting them and they're, they're in their headspace about getting this character right. It's not till like that first screening where they suddenly are like watching it. And they, you know, like you said, they might be like, oh, it's so dark. I, don't, I didn't know it was that dark when we shot that. Or, or oh man, I hate that, that take they used. I wish he had used take three and not take four. You know, it's like there's so many variables. It's funny as a cameraman, I used to feel that way when I shot movies. I always used to have a joke with my crew would be, man, the editor always uses the worst take of our, of our move, of the camera shot. And it just invariably, because the editor was probably focused on the performance, getting the best performance on, uh, you know, in that edit and would not be as focused on the camera movement or something. And I'd always be like, oh man, that wasn't a good camera shot. Why did they use that one? So it's, it's probably true for actors too. Yeah, I, I was curious about that. Could you give a little bit of insight into life as a cameraman? Like what you really deal with when you're... I know you've, uh, you've actually worked on as a cameraman for like reality TV and a lot of different movies and so on yeah. and so forth and documentaries. What, what, what is something that uh, maybe people should know about the cameraman that they probably don't know that's not common knowledge? It's, 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 well, I mean, this might sound pretentious. It's, it's an extreme art form. I mean, it's definitely, I mean, um, I'm actually currently sort of writing down a memoir about my, my life, uh, my career kind of stuff. But, um, and in, re- in, in thinking about it, you know, I kind of thought I was like, there's for reality sort of documentary cameramen, which I've been fortunate enough to do. Um, you know, there's this instantaneous experience you have to have where you have to sort of like, be experiencing the world around you, but at the same time, your head has to be in that camera and experiencing through the lens what's going on. So you have to be doing this kind of like calculus in your mind all the time about beauty, articulation, and and concepts of of, of framing and all that stuff. But at the same time, you're also like, don't fall off the sidewalk and trip and, and break your neck. You know, like <laughs> it, it really is a thing. It's like this this sort of like you know, amalgamation of all these different thing, actions that are happening at the same time, which you have to sort of like collectively have in your mind while trying to be perfectionist, but also trying not to fall, <laughs> you know, like for lack of a better way of saying it. And you've really worn a lot of hats as far as the filmmaking industry is concerned. I mean, being a cinematographer, you've been a writer, a producer, a director, an editor, and, and you know, as well as a camera operator. So you really have like a great background to build on when you're creating your own movies. Would you say you have a pretty clear vision for every movie that you've done so far, or it kind of develops a little bit as you're going along? Yeah. I mean, I think that like every movie sort of speaks to you or me. I I should just speak about myself, but (laughs) because everybody's different. No, I mean, because there are direct, I know directors that are in more, way more calculated than I am in terms of, they're piecing together frame by frame in their minds. I don't really work that way, maybe partially because of budget, admittedly, but um, I have to be... With the budgets we work at, I have to be incredibly fluid and open-minded. 
So, um, I mean, I've been known to like mid scene throw out an entire half of a scene because I just realized in my mind, I'm like, I don't think we need this and we should move on to the next thing. You know, I have to calculate like, all right, I have these actors for five hours and I need to get four scenes done. So we're halfway through a scene and I realized, oh, she's got to go over there and throw the cup against the wall. And I, I just make this calculus in my head that I'm like, ah, right, you know, what? I don't need her throwing the cup against the wall. This scene's fine if it ends before that. You know what I'm saying? So there's this like process that's happening. But um, my last movie, Domestic Hell, uh, which is also available, Quick Stick, uh, is also available on Amazon Prime. Um, that film, I remember while early on in the shooting, it sort of like spoke to me. I started to, um, to sort of experience it like when we actor, we would do rehearsals and the actors would walk through the set and, and do the lines and everything. And I would watch them and it, it just, all of a sudden I just realized this, this movie needs to be shot from this point of view at this level, at this pace. It became kind of so organic. It was kind of an awesome experience and feeling because it just spoke to me. But that was only literally on set already. Sometimes it happens in, in the script writing process where you're like, this film can only be shot a certain way. But that movie was like, you know, it happened on set. And then this last movie, the, the one I'm about to release, uh, Remy's Demons, uh, was a little bit of a mixture of the, of the two, but it was a little bit more about the script kind of told me where I needed to go. Now, judging by the titles of the movies that you've just rattled off, we know that these aren't exactly romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Why horror? Were you a big horror movie buff when you were a kid? No, 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 no. I, really? I, I hate to regurgitate similar stories, but I, uh, when I was growing up, I was the biggest scaredy cat in the world. And I would um, put it this way. I would get so scared. I think I was probably around between seven and 10, somewhere in there. I had, my, my parents were like, you got to sleep in your own bedroom. My brother and I used to bunk, but we had okay. an extra room and they're like, you got to sleep in your own bedroom. And I would concoct werewolf story, all this stuff in my mind. And I would actually leave my bedroom in the middle of the night, put my blanket and a pillow down and press my head literally against my parents' door. My thought process was, well, if something comes and gets me, I can just smack on the door to wake them. But my, my dad would... like my, my mother and father would open the door and they'd like be shocked early in the morning to see their son's head at the foot of the door. <laughs> so that's how scared I was. So it wasn't until I met my wife, my, my wife, Renna Linda, um, she loved, love, love, love horror movies. And w- when we met, I was around 30 and I still was a chicken, you know, every we, she lived in Newark, New Jersey at the time. And there was a local video store that had literally all horror. And she'd always make me watch these weird, like indie horror movies. And after a while, I started to really appreciate, honestly, I was scared, but I was also, I started to realize like the art that was involved and how creative you had to be and that you could function at a low budget and still create quality. Um, and so th- those are all the sort of pieces that came together when I realized like I-, I was ready to kind of put my foot into that water. When you're working on your movies, when you're doing, uh, let's say, uh, what's going to be a particularly scary scene, I guess, once all the effects are added and the sounds and all that stuff... It, does that become a litmus test? Like, would this have scared the young Colin? Do you do you go by that or? Yeah, yeah, a little really? bit. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I I kind of like. I always get back to, um, you know, it's like that worries me. What you just said, which it, it's true, right? But it worries me because I'm like, man, he was such a chicken. He probably doesn't scare anybody. <laughs> I mean, I have a whole philosophy now that like I can't guarantee I can scare you, 
but uh, but what I need to do is I need to make you care, right? It's sure. like I so so I I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there there's like I'm still I'm still in my infancy learning, you know, how to scare people and also how to like create tension and suspense and all that stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, it that's like that's the, that's the question, right? How yeah. do you scare someone who's been through a pandemic? 2020, the world we live in, like, how do you scare someone nowadays? It's crazy. Your website is bresslerfilms.com? Bresslerproductions.com. And and that's also uh, Bressler Production, at Bressler Productions, my Instagram. The reason I'm asking is if you go to that site, uh, you can see clips from some of Colin's movies and just the trailers alone are wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. If you're, you know, it's funny because from what I see, it, it kind of evokes a lot of classic horror movies, but it's original at the same time. It's, Thank you. It's, wow. it's a weird dichotomy, but it, it really works. I appreciate it. Wow. Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, my, my second movie, Bloody Drama, is a classic slasher. And so I really did. I, I was that was my first like sort of true diving into the horror genre. My first movie was more of an experimental movie, mm-hmm. a bloody drama. I, I I was tasked to do that too by Scream Time Films. They were like, "Hey, do you want to make a movie for us? Here's our idea," and that was really cool because I never worked for someone else's idea, but I also never thought I'd ever make a slasher. And so I just kind of like went at, went at it from the angle that. I found interesting, but I also did a lot of research in like Halloween and and the classics um, to try to get some, you know, bring back the that that kind of. I wanted it. I wanted it to feel like an eighties, seventies, eighties horror movie, you know, slasher movie. Back to the what I saw with the trailers, you definitely what you definitely have down to an art is the the use of the music, and it's it's very sparse and it's in like an odd key, and it's just. It's almost like when you're a little kid and you're turning the jack in the box and you're waiting for that and you know something is going to happen and you know that music even though it's it's not filling up the background it's still adding to that tension that they're in the dark somebody's walking through something's going to happen you know that kind of edge of your seat type of tension you you've really got that down to a science. Thank you. Wow. And I, I, I'd be remiss that my... So my partner in crime, he kind of helps produce, but his main focus is the sound. He does the sound design and also the music. His, uh, his name's Colin, Colin Chinchar. He's out in, uh, on the West Coast in Oregon. But um, he's amazing. Most of the music's his original stuff. And like he'll just send me a bunch of different versions. And I'll kind of tell him like... Like I like this, I like that. Hey, can you do this? But a little bit, little more of this. But but I mean, it's mostly him. I mean, he's just a brilliant. I always tell him, I'm like, you got to get your art, your your music out there, man. Like I want him to like create his own like whole music library for filmmakers because he his stuff is so unbelievable. I know you said earlier that you're doing movies basically on a no budget <laughs> as opposed to yeah. the million dollar budgets that gets handed over from studios sometimes. Apart from that, what's the biggest challenge for you as a director when you're trying to do a horror movie? I think that it is keeping like sort of structurally keeping the the story clear and and not getting bogged down in certain things. So it's like kind of just having a sense for like the direction of everything. Because, you know, most movies are made out of order. Like, they're, you know, they're not going to shoot the first scene first, second scene, second kind of thing. I still, to this day, it's, it's, it's hard to sort of organize 
all that and make sure that like each scene's pacing and and the performances and everything is working towards a, a, a sort of final goal that you set out. So it's really that structure that I'm working on. I think that like, you know, really keeping that clear as a clear path forward for the, for the movie, for the story, you know. I don't know if that made any sense, but <laughs> don't worry. We we can we record out a sequence sometimes too, so don't worry. Sense, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know you said you know, you weren't a fan of horror movies, but when you started to like them, were, were there any particular directors or styles that you liked before you started doing your own? Yeah, I mean, I you know at first I was really, really, really into the Blair Witch sort of point of view. Um, horror because I like the experimentation of it. I think it got obviously kind of played out and overdone to some to to all to a large extent. But I thought it was just such a it's such a cool idea to just hand people cameras and be like, "We're going to throw stuff at you and freak you out." I, it, it just it appealed to me. I also, I mean, I went to film school and I learned about Godard and and all the experimental filmmakers out there. And so I've always been attracted to that to some degree. So that was kind of a, uh, a, an early sort of movie that I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. I mean, Halloween, uh, I know you were probably asked for more, more newer ones, but um, I mean, newer, I mean, I think that like Get Out, you know, really, really impacted me. Um, I saw that right before I was doing Bloody Drama and it really gave me some ideas and it also made me go, oh man, I need to go back to the drawing board. This guy is like amazing, you know, one of those moments. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I'm still sort of investigating a lot, you know, a lot of, a lot of movies. I need to see Midsommar has been, been uh, recommended to me. You know, I guess what it is, is there's really another wave of horror directors that are really coming along with, with those types of movies too. Especially like Get Out made such a splash with the critics and people really took notice of the director. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the guy from Key and Peele, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, and who would think, you know, a guy from, with you know with a comedic background, and he made these scary as hell movies. I know, I know. You know, they always say that there is actually a very fine line right between comedy and terror because sometimes, yeah, you see movies and you want to scream, and then you end up laughing after you're screaming. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I went back. I I kind of binged um, Key and Peele. And you can actually, it's interesting in watching it because I don't know, I actually don't know how involved he was in the direction, like the shooting in the direction of the show. Mm -hmm. But you can see some of the horror elements and some of the sketches that they did. And you can kind of see that. And I, 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 I saw an interview with um, um, Key and Key said that. He was like, he's like, yeah, he, he, he's always been a creepy dude. Like he's always been like playing pranks and like always talking about these crazy ideas he had and all this stuff. So you can kind of see it a little bit in their show. You know, I want to switch gears for just a second. You did uh, some camera work in reality TV with... Uh, what what not to wear in my 600 pound life yes um what is that like working on a reality show because that's kind of weird with your your you're following people around and i know reality tv isn't uh, what, what do they call it cinema verite what they used to call it where things yeah. would just happen but where this is a little bit more staged exactly that was um you know kind of a transformation because i had left film school in 1998 and i went you know, I was kind of doing indie indie films in New York City as an, a camera assistant, but it was right when the sort of cable TV was exploding, 
and all these channels like TLC and all these channels were were exploding. And it just it was such an opportunity. I never thought I would. I never in a million years thought I was going to get into any kind of video oriented television. I thought I'd be in in movies the rest of my life. But it was just such a great opportunity. And I met this guy. I started doing MTV Cribs. I did MTV Cribs for a while back in the late nineties. And then um, I did Martha Stewart, her show, her old CBS show for like seven, five years. And then, yeah, I did What Not to Wear. I did um, uh, 600 Pound Life. I still do to this day, actually. That's a, that's a show I do quite a bit you know, per year. I've been doing that show for about six or seven years on and off. So yeah, I mean, each one is its own animal, you know? I mean, I'm trying to... I mean, I can tell you anecdotes and stories, but you know, each one, each reality show is different because you could... Like, I'll give you an example. I did um, Deion Sanders, the football player. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did his reality show for two years. So on that one, you know, you're dealing with a very wealthy, amazing, like, superstar guy who's, you know, very charismatic and crazy and flamboyant. And it was just a lot of fun to be around that and experience his life. And Snoop Dogg would show up at his house, you know, in the middle of the show, crazy stuff like that. 600 pound life is about people on the brink, you know, people that weigh 600 or more pounds. So they're, they're in really bad shape and they're dire circumstances. So like, it's a very heavy experience. So you could go from like a, a desperate housewives show where it's rich people and they're fighting and you can go from that to a show where it's it's you know a lot more sort of intense and it weighs on you and you have to you know it's it's not you know you take it home with you I guess is what I'm saying. The other reality shows you don't because it's more fun and kind of like frivolous I guess. When you're doing shows like that even though they're not really in the genre that that you work in the fact that you're behind that camera seeing that way of life and how these people are reacting to the situations that they're in I'm sure that probably puts like an extra notch in your belt where maybe if you're directing someone and you remember somebody being scared and you could probably say to that actor, you know, what if you did this? What if you said it like this? That you have like a frame of reference. I would not have my career any other way that it's gone because I, I've been diversified enough that I've kept dipped my feet in a different types of genres. But yeah, you're right. I, I love doing it because... You know, I like I've been doing these movies all the time. I've been doing these movies. I go and I do reality shows as I'm doing it. And so when I'm on a reality show set, it's literally about like following the action and seeing what's going on and just being alive and aware of what's happening and staying in it and and also telling a story. You have to like go, oh, Nancy's mad at Philip, and so let me make sure I get some good shots of Philip's face as as she yells at him. You know, just simplistic things like that. But it's like you've still got to build that story up. So it teaches you sort of how to operate on your feet and on your toes quickly. And honestly, like you can't... You have to be that way in no-budget cinema. You have to. Because you've got to be shooting... Like like I said, Domestic Hell, we rented... I rented a, uh, a Airbnb in the middle of nowhere's Texas. This creepy little Airbnb in nowhere land. And, but I had it for four days. But my script, it was 60 pages I had to shoot in four days. And we were just boom, 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 boom. You know, and it's like, if I didn't have that background in reality television, documentary television, or documentary movie, I, I don't, I don't think I'd be able to do it. To be honest, I, I think I would probably get bogged down and wouldn't be able to finish. Yes, it, it gave you the tools to think on your feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I'm coming up with an idea for you for a second. Listen to you talk oh, about no. reality. Oh, I like it. 
What what if he did like a horror movie? Like, like say the movie was based on some sort of reality show, but there's like a killer lurking in the background or something like that. I'll smash her. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's like, uh, what was it? What was the one on MTV? The Real World, right? The Real World. Oh yeah. Plus a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. Yes. Uh, let's pretend that you have an unlimited budget. You get to make the movie of your dreams. Who's in it? Who's in it? Wow. Yeah. Um, huh. Who's in it? Sorry, I, don't, I know dead, dead air is not... That's okay. I can edit it. Don't worry. <laughs> you, you, got, you, you threw me for a loop a little bit. Um, I like to throw a tricky one in there, everyone. I like it. I like it. I like it. No, it's an <laughs> awesome question. This is for my brother's going to laugh if he, watch, if he, if he listens, but... I would definitely have to throw Morgan Freeman in. That's for sure. Okay. Um, I, I've always said that I could watch Morgan Freeman reading the phone book on the toilet for two hours. I'd be happy. Um, let's see what else. Uh, There's a movie in itself. <laughs> I know. I said no. No, I, I would watch it. I would actually gladly watch. I'd pay twenty five dollars for it. Um, like Robert Pattinson seems like someone that. I mean, I don't know for anything, but I, he just gives me a sense that he's. Someone that like really is interested in diving deep into a story, into a character. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, you know, so I think Robert Pattinson would be cool. Uh, Morgan Freeman. Um, wow, I'm on the spot. I'm blanking. We can leave it at that if you can't think of any more. That's okay. okay. <laughs> Do you have an all-time favorite movie? Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, I have a bunch, obviously, but I mean, Doctor Strangelove is a is a very important movie to me. Um, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind is another one that comes to mind. Um, that you know, influential movies over me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean those two, and um, there's a lot of others. Of any film person, would it's hard to pick any one. I mean, Citizen Kane as the obnoxious, obvious one. <laughs> as a cinematographer, by the way, not. I mean, story wise, it's a great movie, but the cinematography in Citizen Kane is like absurd. It's it's. I always tell people it's. You're watching a movie that's like 60 years ahead of its time. And I, I'm actually not sure we've caught up to it, to be honest. Wow. Yeah, I'm being honest. I seriously believe that. Like, <laughs> Even with all the technology, I think we're still trying to get there. Before I let you go, uh, let's let everybody know what movies of yours they have to keep an eye open for. Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean... I would love for them to watch uh, Domestic Hell, uh, which is on Amazon Prime uh, right now as we speak, streaming. And uh, it's also on I, um, Apple TV um, and a bunch of other streaming services. But And, uh, and then um, my new film, Remy's Demons, is coming out very soon on streaming. It's, we're just waiting for Amazon to pull the tri- trigger. But um, it's also available... And Remy's Demons, if you're a DVD collector, it's available on uh, Scream Time Films' website for DVD purchase. Also, uh, on, a, on a side thing, not a horror, but I directed a movie uh, with my wife, a uh, documentary called Sandra's Revolution, which is about my wife's mother, if you're into documentaries. And it's a, it's a tearjerker and a powerful movie about like female empowerment and things like that. Also... Um, Another plug, check me. Uh, please come uh, uh, like and, and become a you know follower or whatever the words are at, uh, on Instagram at, at Bressler Productions. We can do that. We can get that word out to the folks. Yeah, that's where I put like all the you know videos and photos for any new movie stuff coming up. I'm, I'm working on another script, so there should be a movie 
getting started somewhat in the next couple of months. Listen, Rebel, so if you're going to watch one of Colin's movies, just make sure maybe for the first one, don't put the lights out. <laughs> and have at least have, have a little teddy bear to jump on it just in case you get a little, a little scared. <laughs> so his name is Colin Bressler. We hope to see his name up on the marquee and in the credits for many more. And best of luck to you with all the stuff that you've got coming out. And uh, thanks so much for coming by. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Colin Bressler for coming on down and spending a little time with me, Jim the Podcast Sherpa. Hey, you know where you can listen to this show, right? You're listening to it right now. Of course you do. <laughs> but if you just started listening, you can listen on your favorite podcast app or at my website, SherpaLution.com. And don't forget the word SherpaLution. Why? You know that one too, because that's how you can follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. SherpaLution, that's the word that you need. And you can hear the latest of what's going on, like some interviews that I've had recently. And you'll hear what's coming up for, dare I say it, season five. What? Season five? Yes, I know. I'm in the process of recording for next season already. By the way, check out some of Colin's scary movies. You can see them on Amazon or lots of places where you can find indie films. They're really scary. Scary stuff. And while we are talking about scary stuff, I'm going to drop a little hint right here. It is October. So Halloween is going to be right around the corner. And I know it's going to be probably a little bit different this year. But I may do something a little special on Halloween because it is a Saturday. And I'm just going to drop a hint right now. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But if you follow me on social media, you know, like I just said, Chirpolution, you can hear all about it once details are finalized. Don't forget we have an episode tomorrow with John May of the Binge Watchers podcast. And we will be talking with him a lot about movies and the movie going experience and some of his experiences with Hollywood as well. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Mr. Bruce, I can see you hiding behind the chair. You're not going to scare me. Ooh, you scared me. Okay. Um, if you could please... Show everybody the door, please. Thank you, sir. Next thing you know, it's going to blow up a paper bag and pop it. That really scares me. See you guys tomorrow. Viva la Sherpa Lucian. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Lou Studios production. Viva la Sherpa Lucian. Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s j network.com that's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information just go to the website and check out the family ladies and gentlemen until then enjoy the show